This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 475 of the Dressage Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products and TotalSaddleFit.com. Today is the deadline for finishing our first book of the monthly book club as we are going to discuss When Two Spines Align by Beth Baumert with listener Lilla Mason. Before we get to that, Reese is going to talk about her adventures in Germany, and we have a great trainer tip to close the show. Stanfield from Georgetown, Kentucky. And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show. Hi, Reese. Hi. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little sleepy tonight. I'm not going to lie. It's <laughs> very early in journey. Um, yeah, so I got back last night and I uh, had quite a great trip. It was really, really a special trip. I, um, so basically, let's, let's, let's get to it. You want to hear about it? Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Why were you what there? Was I, what was the plan? Yeah, so it was actually a little bit of a different trip than I normally take. You know, normally we sort of land and we start horse shopping and we horse shop and go to the hotel and sleep and and go back. But actually, so this was, there's some personal and some business. Uh, Michael Klemka, my trainer, got married. Michael's been on the show a couple times and he invited me to his wedding and I have this strict policy. I only have like two friends in Europe, so... When I get married, I should go. So I thought, oh, you know, this will be fantastic. So I went over for his wedding, uh, which was, and he married absolutely a beautiful woman. Her name is Rebecca. And uh, I wish them all the best luck. The The wedding was great fun. I don't know how weddings work in Canada, but we went to a beautiful you do, castle. because you went to my wedding and you know how that works. Yeah, but I don't think there's a <laughs> signing ceremony at uh, like uh, they have a signing yeah. ceremony they did it the okay. same in france uh, yeah that's true i did go to phil's wedding but it's very fuzzy the whole wedding's very fuzzy um <laughs> but there's a signing ceremony it was the same in france like in america we just go to the courthouse there's yeah. nothing yeah. there's not a ceremony involved yeah. but there was so you have the ceremony and then you have the the actual you know reception so the the signing ceremony was a beautiful kind of ca- uh, castle i mean there were like swans and lily pads. I mean, I was like, oh God, this is so pretty. And it was an absolutely gorgeous day. And then uh, we went to a, a beautiful restaurant they had rented out for the for the reception. And there was some pretty amazing people at this wedding. I'm not going to lie. I was a little fan struck. So I met Ingrid Klemka, which of course is Michael's sister. And she she's awesome. And all the children and Monica T to rescue was there. And Helen Lunga Hunneberg was there. I was just uh, like, so in awe. it was yeah. a little bit, a little bit. I was a little bit in awe of the situation, but it was, it was great. And uh, I don't know if you saw, or we haven't talked about it, but the news broke actually that that day that there was going to be for the world ranking list that, for six months, there was basically you would hold your your world ranking if you had had a baby. And Helen Langhanneberg had a baby like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, something like that. And I I actually talked to her about it. I was okay. I had 
had some wine. So I thought, I'm going to go talk to her about this. And I did. And, and she was so lovely. And she actually said she didn't have much to do with the decision, but she was the, sort of the poster child for the decision from the FEI. And I thought that was really cool. And I told her that. And so I chatted with her for a few minutes and she was absolutely adorable and lovely. And it was fun. So that was yeah. kind of some news. And then I was also on a scouting trip for the University of Kentucky. I and. I, I teach a class at the university in the equine management department in the fall. So they have asked me, the university asked me if I would take a group of students to Germany. And so with Dr. Jill Stowe, we went over, uh, we landed, actually, we landed and went right to the Herb Springer bit plant, oh, yeah. which was super cool because, you know, you wonder like, why do I spend so much money on these bits? Well, I can, tell you, <laughs> I can tell you now why you do. So they're all handmade in the factory and there are 150 people that work in the factory. And of course in Germany, there's very strict labor laws and how long people can work and what they can do. And um, so we were met by Martin Springer and Martin literally gave us a tour of the whole factory and how they made it. And he is a fifth generation his, his family's been doing this for five generations. So that was fa- absolutely fascinating to hear him discuss, you know, show us the mold, how the bits are made. Every bit is hand stamped multiple times. It's, it's looked at for quality control multiple times. Um, it, it is spun in, um, he called them stones, but they were special stones, like in, in sort of like a huge vat actually. Uh, and every stone is different and every stone has a, has a purpose. And so it was just really cool to hear how they develop bits and why they develop them the way they do. And I have no problem now spending the money I do on the bits because it's absolutely worth it. Yeah, so that was quali- our- the quality is there. The quality. engineering is there. The, the materials that they use yep. is yeah, like everything is so everything. Precise. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And there, there are, you know, our, our, specific you know every station has someone that does a specific thing for the bit and how they mold it and why it's turned the way it's turned and it's pretty cool like it that was fascinating to me I just thought the whole thing was awesome so and they showed us also how they make spurs how they make spurs at Hamspringer and why they make them the way they do and the angles that they make and then how they make the stirrups Hebspringer also makes stirrups and why they are the way they are and why they're sort of the best stirrups that you can make. So that was awesome. It was really cool. It was fascinating. And I guess we don't really think about sort of those products and why they're made the way they are. But when you really stop to look at them, it's fascinating. So that was awesome. So then we, yeah, then we headed south to Aachen and actually the horse show Aachen is next week, but we went to the horse show facility. So I now have walked around Aachen and uh, there were no people there. It was about 4.30 on a Friday, but we ended up going to the museum and the museum curator was there and he is 83 years old. His name is Hans and he didn't speak a lick of English. So my German had to come back. I was going to ask you, yeah. Quick, yeah. Yeah, zero English. Um, And, you know, my German 20 years ago was quite good when I lived in Germany, but but it was great. It it was coming back to me, and we had just the cutest discussion for about an hour with him about Aachen and about, oh, we heard about his family and his wife and how long he'd worked there for 53 years. So it it was pretty cool. And he had just the stories he had. I probably got... 
70% of what he was saying, but I got the gist. And he showed us the presence wall and they have, you can at the museum there, you can actually get on the, a replica of the stands, um, not the, the podiums. So I won. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yep. I won Aachen. So that was pretty awesome. <laughs> that was pretty cool. And then we then went to the town of Aachen, which is absolutely beautiful. If you ever get a chance, it's a beautiful, t- there, there's a dome. The dome in Aachen is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So it's worth from the cultural standpoint. And we're mandated in a good way through the university to do 50% culture and 50% horses, which of course, yeah. I, I think horses are our culture, but <laughs> but it doesn't <laughs> matter. So we have to you know find things. And, and it was also cool because there's an awesome downtown in Aachen. And the Belgian, the World Cup game with Belgium was playing. And so it was just just the coolest evening to sort of walk around. And there were so many TVs set up and because it's very close to Belgium. That, that part of Germany is like 20 kilometers from Belgium. You're essentially almost Belgium. And it was awesome. It was so much fun. So we did that. And then we headed up to Münster for the wedding on Saturday. And we did the wedding and, and we had a brunch on Sunday. I'm not going to lie to see a couple horses Sunday afternoon when we I had to I do a little shopping, a little horse shopping. And then, which wasn't the main mission, but you know, you never know. You got to see some unicorns when you're over there. Uh, and we went to Varndorf, uh, which is, um, we will be able to take the students, I hope, to the Olympic Training Center and to their national federation, which, or the German Federation, which is in Varndorf. And Varndorf is also itself a state stud, which part of what we're doing was sort of learning what the industry is like in Germany and, and essentially why are they so successful at what they do. So Varndorf is a state stud. And then we actually, the next day we had dinner in Varndorf, walked around. Varndorf is also a wonderful town. It's a wonderful street that's cobblestone lined. And, you know, there's just, it's just a beautiful place just to sort of walk around and have dinner. Uh, and then in the morning we actually got up quite early and went up to Verden, um, which in uh, Sella. And we actually went to Sella first, which is also all these places, if you ever get a chance to go to in Germany, are phenomenal. Sella is also a state stud, and it is one of the oldest ones. And I, I, I can't remember exactly the history, but one of the German kings married a royal family from Great Britain. So they had all the carriages there from the British royal family or some carriages. And we explained on why they they were the way they were and how they restore them. And just Sela itself is actually beautiful. And we talked um, to Dr. Brockman, who is the head of it. And, you know, he works with um, the German government and how to maintain this place and why they maintain it. And they really maintain it for the culture of the horse. And it's similar to what we would say the Kentucky horse park is here, which is also a government run park, you know, educational site, however you want to say it. And that what, what Sella was. And we actually, they also owned stallions, the German government at Sella. And well, and they're actually off the property at a different training facility. So we ended up going there and seeing, and that's where sort of they have people that work there. And, you know, one of the tour guides we had, he'd worked at the state stud for 35 years. So that was his career was at the state stud. So that was absolutely phenomenal. And you see, you know, why it's important that the German government sort of keeps buying horses for themselves, essentially, which is to keep the breeds alive and keep the heritage alive, if that makes sense. 
And then we went to Verdun, which is, and, and Phil, you've been there as well. I actually knew where we were because of the picture Phil took. I was like, oh, it's back there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, Phil took a picture over there. But yeah. what's interesting about Verdun, and, and Phil, you can chime in because you've been as well, they sell cows there. It's a, it's a, it's a facility in the town. Yeah, so, it's agricultural more than just Pacific yes. Horse as well. And, you know, that's where they have the registration offices. Yep. And and I think maybe most importantly is the auction site is in Verdun, not in Sela, right? It's it's all that's Hanoverian right. breed, but Hanoverian uh, Verdun. Breeders. Yep, in yeah. Verdun, all Hanoverians. And they have multiple auctions throughout the year. So the Hanoverian breed is very much into giving a marketplace for the horses so they have different yeah sales. as a service to the breeders mm-hmm. yeah they, they want to make sure that the breeders are are going to be able to have a place so you know as an agricultural business rather than you right. know there's a lot of breeders in canada and north america that are do it as a as a hobby right but very much on the business side in in germany yes. in europe in general i mean so mm-hmm. to make sure that the you know a, a breeder whose only job is to breed a, a hanoverian horse they have to have a place to be able to sell rather sell than just just privately i mean that you know some that's people do that too. yep that's yeah, an option to do it yeah. privately but the auction house offers a place to sell mares foals stallions you know anything uh, uh, yeah, and exactly. they have riders there, employed yeah. there. And and the other part of the, other yeah, side. part of that service is the training as well. Mm-hmm. So, yep, if you uh, needed a horse, it was very reasonably priced. I mean, I was actually shocked. And we sort of that's on the other side of the street. We parked there. That's why we were lost. Uh, I was on the other <laughs> side of the street, which was quite a big stable that has trainers, and you can go there. Or if you buy a horse in the auction, the horse can go over there for a little while if it works. Then they also have a show facility, and they have. Uh, they were setting up actually for one of their horse shows and they set up in, there's also like a stadium there, but it's also used by the town for soccer. And, and so it was just a really cool place where you could see sort of a horse show grounds and yeah, it's they integrated had, use, mm-hmm. you know, uh, facility or, or space right. grounds. Right. So, I mean, in Europe, you know, space is a premium, right? So, right. And again, like horses are a little bit more integrated into the culture because they've been yes. at it for much longer than we have, you know, dressage training and breeding and selling of horses. So it's all all mixed use, you know, buildings and 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 land, and it, it really works well. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it's it something really- good to see. I mean, that that would be great for your students to uh, yeah to see how it's you know it's not one yeah. thing, right? Exactly. And then for our final, so then we went up to Bremen and spent the night in Bremen. And Bremen is just a beautiful German town. Well, it's more of a city and and just you know, we stayed downtown where the, all the, the big buildings were. And they have the, they're famous for, oh, the name is escaping me, but uh, it's a <laughs> it's a statue of like a, a cow and then a pig. And it's very famous for these. these this, oh, this yeah. I know what you're talking I, about now. I it forget. Is, yeah. very, so we, we saw that and, and there's this beautiful place called Schnorr, which is all these little German homes. It's it's really a fascinating place. And it was so much fun. We had a lovely dinner there. And then uh, Jill and I headed to Vecta which is quite interesting because Vecta is the head of the Oldenburg Society uh, in Germany. So we had a lovely tour at at Vecta. They also have a facility there that's an auction house. They do not have a training facility there at Vecta, which is a little bit different. Verden has a training facility. Vecta does not. So that was was something interesting. And then um, from onward from Vecta, 
we actually went to Paul Shakamala's. We went to Shakamala, which they have a beautiful tax shop there. Not going to lie. But they were having a full <laughs> show, which was cool. Like, we got to literally see, you know, people bring their trailers, which are the Brenda Up trailers. They hook them up. They throw their Marin full in, and they go to this full show. And it was on a Tuesday. <laughs> and it was like, oh, okay, well, we're really far behind. And they were like, there were 150 fulls each day. So they were, they would, we're going to show 300 yeah. fulls, which is just insane. So that was pretty cool to see that. And then we went to the tax lot and then we ended up our trip at the, the Vecta state college of riding, which is a state sponsored riding school. And it's a riding school for trainers actually. So that was pretty awesome. <laughs> so that's actually where the trainers go because in Germany you have to have a license and that's how you get your license, which we don't have in Canada or America. We have the certified instructor program in America. Canada, do you have a certified instructor? About the same program? thing. Yeah. The yeah. Same thing. yeah. Um, but this is like, you really, really have to go to the school. You have to have this license to be able to teach. So that was pretty awesome. They, they have an, uh, they do have an English speaking class at, at one point. But you have to ride dressage, you have to jump, and you have to do cross-country. So it's sort of an all-around coach, which is pretty yeah. cool. So yeah. uh, we ended there, and everyone was just so awesome to show us and so proud. And uh, it was really an, an amazing trip. You know, Dr. Stowe and I, Dr. Jill Stowe and I, we had a ball. Like, we had so much fun. Packed quite a bit in there. We, that's why I'm exhausted, Phil. Like, I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm dying here. I'm so tired. So that sounds awesome. It sounds, yeah, it was maybe, awesome maybe some people have some questions about your trip. They want to, you know, send an email or absolutely. You know. I would love to reset horse radio network.com. You know, I always, or you Facebook me, however you wanted to get a hold of me, but it's really, if you get a chance, I mean, we were looking at it from a perspective of, of teaching students about why Germany is successful and our trip will actually go into the Netherlands. We just didn't, we just did not have time to go to the Netherlands this trip. So we're going to roll the dice on that when we go, but we'll also see, no, I, I have good friends in the Netherlands too. So I'm lucky that way. So we will, we'll go there, but if you ever get a chance, you know, or go to the auctions or the German people are very proud of their horses as we all are, we're all want to talk about horses and we're very proud of, of them. And, but it really is. And, and Phil, you've also done a very similar trip. You were horse buying, but you went to the same places and yep. it's just, it's just a special thing to do. And you really, I think it's a, a little inspiring because there's a lot mm -hmm. more history, right? Like, yes. I think if you ride a Hanoverian or, or an Oldenburg or a Westphalian, you know, a horse that, um, was, you know, is bloodlines about, you know, how much, pride and time and effort that so many people have put in to create yes. this horse that you ride or that you that you have that um it's very special it's very special yeah, feeling it's yeah. very special and it's just cool so and you know jill has a fold that's an oldenburg and i mean we went there and they were so excited to hear that she was a breeder and i it was just really cool it was it yeah, was it's a, it's a it's a small world and it's a community of, of people who enjoy horses so yeah. i mean get that yeah. across the world i think that's awesome so yeah so it's really cool. Well, I hope everyone enjoys the stories. But again, please feel free to, to email me at any time. But right after this commercial break, we're going to come into our first, I'm super excited, installment of our book club with Lilla Mason. This Nutrition Minute is brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products, the company that simplifies your search for research-proven nutritional supplements at kppusa.com. 
Commercial feeds are fortified with nutrients such as proteins, vitamins, and minerals. They are made up of a variety of ingredients that provide a particular amount of energy. Most feeds have been designed to address the needs of a certain type of horse. It is important to understand that all feeds are formulated by nutritionists to be fed in specific amounts. When the correct amount of feed is provided, the horse consumes the appropriate amount of energy and nutrients. The feeding directions included on the feed bag or the feed tag are specific to the particular feed and should be followed. When you feed less than the recommended amount of feed, your horse is not getting the full complement of nutrients that he or she may need. On the other hand, too much of a good thing can also be bad. The overfeeding of concentrates can lead to grain overload and oversupplementation, and feed should never be cut or mixed with other fortified feeds or plain grains because this changes the nutrient profile and can cause imbalances in energy, protein, vitamins, and minerals. If you need to include additional supplements in your horse's diet, choose products that are formulated to complement, not compete with fortified feeds. If you feed a plain grain such as oats, additional fortification may be necessary. Kentucky Performance Products supplements are specifically designed to complement, not compete with the modern concentrates used by today's horse owners. Each supplement is manufactured to exacting standards in certified facilities using stringent quality control guidelines. So choose Kentucky Performance Products supplements because the horse that matters to you matters to them. Learn more about Kentucky Performance Products supplements at kppusa.com. That's kppusa.com. This Nutritional Minute has been brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. You can find all of their terrific products at kppusa.com. Well, tonight I am very excited to have a friend of mine, Lilla Mason. She is an auditor of the Horse Radio Network, and she is our first reviewee, if that's how you say it, of When Two Spines Align, Dressage Dynamic Book Club. Lilla, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Reese. I'm, I'm honored to be on it. Well, you are so cute. We see each other at all the shows, and Lilla is so nice and always has lovely things to say about the show. But you, you saw me at a horse show a couple weeks ago and said, I, you know, I'm going to read this book. And I said, this is in the beginning of June, I said, well, great, we need someone to be our first our guinea pig uh, on coming on the show and talking about the book and sort of doing the whole book club, the whole book club program. So we're, we're, I was so happy that you, we had our first person, number one, but Lila, tell us about yourself. You're really an amazing writer. Oh no, I, I'm just a, you know, an, an amateur with an addiction to dressage and a, and a, a real desire to get my gold medal, but you know, it's a long road and it's uh it's a lot of fun. I have a, a great trainer, Lynn Gabala and, she works with me every day and, you know, that's what it takes, but I'm certainly, you know, just an amateur on, on, on that road. Well, you really do. You work very, very hard at, at the sport and, and that's what's so cool about you. And um, so tell us a little bit about, okay, so, you know, this was, we were, we were joking a little bit off air. This was actually a pretty technical book for our first, you know, first book we chose. So tell us some things. It sounds like this book helped you we had a horse show in June and there was just a horse show last weekend. And it sounds like that you actually got some significant help from this book. So start us off. What were some things that you liked? Well, I, I, you know, I think this isn't a book that you read cover to cover and put away. 
You know, this is a book that really has a shelf life and it is technical. But what I realized when I was reading the book, that the things that I kept, that kept resonating with me were probably the places that I have holes in my training with myself, my position and my horse. And so I think that's, you know, the beauty of this book, because I think every time anybody picks it up, they'll be going through the pages of chapters and, and, and focus on one of these really technical points. And all of a sudden you're thinking, oh my gosh, you know, that's a big hole for me. Here's these exercises I can do that this book offers. And I'm really going to focus on that. And, you know, I think that's, that's what I discovered in this book. You know, there were a few things that came out at me, just jumped off the page at me. And I thought, oh, you know, that, that's, you know, a problem, you know, like they were talking about one of the problems I have, I fox hunt three days a week in the winter. So my position is always not the best. You know, I have trouble sitting up straight. And the way the author talked about trusting your seat um, really resonated with me because I realized the reason I swing my upper body around, it isn't that, you know, I, I guess it's my way of thinking I'm effective, but if I would trust my seat more, I could smooth that over, you know, and tempi changes and just keep focusing on just trusting my seat instead of, you know, thinking it was in, ineffective. I think that was really helpful. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I think, yeah, sorry, I just was going to say the thing that, you know, after I finished the book that really jumped out at me was just the volume of information that was organized in such a good way that you can sort of progress through, you know, progress as I read the book, it, it progresses through, you know, rider position, then, you know, horses, natural ways of going and just the, the breakdown of the explanations of all these things. And then the third part. So I kind of zoomed through the first two parts, you know, like I've read quite a few books on, you know, that talk about the position and read books, you know, about horses, nat- natural ways of going and, and that kind of thing. And then comes the third part. And this is where it gets, I don't want to say heavy, but it gets like, this is where the volume of the information about training comes in and is so was so interesting that it probably took me twice as long to get through the the third part of the book that it did for me to get through the, just the first two parts, which, and I just, you know, kept coming back and, and you know, I, I can see how if you buy the book, own the book, read it, like you said, and then like come back to it all the time because it's like, there's so many great exercises and so much great discussion on the points that I think the first time through, you're never really going to get get through it and really, you know, um, be able to to get the full information right away. But I think there's lots of great parts that you might read and then you want to come back to. So I really, yeah, that was awesome about about it. Yeah, I think there were some like some really specific things that <clears throat> at the last show really helped my my scores. And, you know, I felt like this show season, I sort of have a 63% tattooed on my forehead. I can't seem to get up, you know, above that. Yeah. And, Break and the barrier. That's details. what I call it. Breaking the sure. barrier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And some little details I picked up in this book really got my percentages up a little bit, you know, like using the visual power line. I, you know, it's, dressage is so hard because you learn these things and then you go back and you are reminded of it or learn it again or something. You're like, Oh, I forgot about that. And yeah. you know, like the visual power line of, yeah. I was in my, mm-hmm. um, you know, not looking all the way down the ring and the half passes and all of a sudden your haunches are leading because you're looking down at the shoulder. Yeah. And don't. I don't know why I didn't remember that from my jumping days. You know, you always look up and just that simple little thing makes such a difference. No, and it does. The tempies too. I, sure. I, you know, I was having, I couldn't figure out why my last two tempies I often missed. And now I realize after reading that, chapter it was my visual power line again i was i was looking down to get the count at the end 
And as the book says, that just puts you on your forehand and then there's a mistake. And so little things like that were really helpful. Well, and I think, you know, the difficult thing about dressage is there is a significant amount of theory. And if you really work with someone who knows a theory, you're getting it, but you don't ever necessarily study it. And that's what, you know, trainers do is we study theory or, you know, we have studied theory and, you know, it's important to know why the theory exists and why your trainer's telling you to do whatever. And I think that this book was really good about like, hey, this is the theory. And then this is the actually the application that you need for the theory, like the visual power line. Like there's a reason why we want you to look in the direction you're going because your shoulders, your hips, and your alignment will actually help you with that. Um, And along with, you know, you were talking about just your seat in general, like trusting your seat. And there's a reason you want to trust your seat because in the tempi changes, you're using your seat. And it, that's all it needs to be. We think, and I'm just as guilty as in the changes, you're like, oh, I'm going to help you. And riders start rocking and rolling and jumping out of the saddle. And, and that makes it worse. You know, that's just like, stop, you know, don't do that. Just use your seat and just use your leg. And this book was pretty good about, um, actually, it's one of the best ones that I've, I've seen that they do. Um, so what were some other other kind of key things that help you, you know, sort of break in that pre-St. George 63% barrier? Well, I had never been able to get the, the canter to trot transition very good at the end of 4-3 of and I won. It's, that's a really hard transition to get right. Yeah. And I had thought, I had learned in a clinic, they'd said, you know, use your hand. You know, how do you get the horse to understand you want him to trot and not, you know, like shorten the canter or walk or something. And, and I, you know, had tried to, uh, I think I was in a clinic and they said, just use your hands without leg. And still, I was always past the letter when I got the trot and it was imbalanced. And then I read here and they said, you know, active and in this book, it said, you know, interrupt the canter rhythm with your, your seat and thighs and then, you know, follow the movement of, you know, with the floor of your seat. And man, I nailed that transition every task. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, just, it was just like, oh, finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After all that is time, a hard I, transition. You know, it really is hard. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. that, that movement, that last movement in four, three, where you go, you trot at C and then you make two left turns and halt at G. Mm-hmm. Again, that's, that's a difficult, you know, it seems like a simple thing, but boy, you can really lose your shoulders there, you know, turning those, making those, you know, sharp angle turns. And, and I use that concept that was in the book of, of turning with the outer triangle. And there's a exercise in that book called um, the square serpentine exercise. And I practiced those mm-hmm. two things and I actually got an eight on that movement in one of my tests. Yes. That is a <laughs> really good again, movement. Yeah. Can, but it's can you hard, describe but, that one? Yeah. Can you describe that one? Cause that was one of the, I really like that one. Well, you, you trot at C and you, you go to S and you turn left and then you go to I and you turn left and then down the center line to halt at G. Mm-hmm. No, so the, the square, comes, I'm sorry, the square serpentine. Oh, can you describe that oh. one. That was a great exercise yeah. in this book. Yeah, it was, it was uh, just three serpentines. And, um, at, you know, using it very straight lines at, at every angle and it really, you know, to, to get the accuracy of it, you know, to get straight again after every turn, it, it comes up very quickly. It was really a good exercise. Yes. Yeah. I, th- it, I think, yeah, it just returns to, I mean, if you're riding at, you know, pre-St. George is great, but also if you're riding at first level, again, just the volume of, of, um, 
exercises and and discussion about things that apply like to like you know everyone you know i think if you're a dressage writer you're gonna get your problems covered in this book yeah you know because she's filled it she's filled this book with so many tips and exercises that i think you know no matter what level or what your problem is it's it's probably gonna get talked about and it's probably gonna have an exercise to help you correct it and then as you move up through the levels you know Next year, you're going to come back to it because you're going to start riding. Like if you're riding first level this year and you're going to go to the second level next year, you know, you're going to work with your trainer or whatever. And then you're going to come back to this book and like, oh, yeah, that's what I do. You know, I have that problem in my counter canner. I have that problem, you know, and this and return to the book, you know, and just positional things. Right. Maybe you don't have this specific problem right now, but you're going to have, you know, like you might run into to you know a different problem a year from now and and you know this is gonna this is gonna talk talk about it you know a few points that i sort of you know i jotted down some notes here that like little just expressions and things that really spoke to you know to the training and the things i have to tell riders a lot or just a different way of saying things is like i really like this comment like you want to use your aids as little as possible but as much as necessary Mm mm-hmm and that was, I think, that was just a really cool little sentence that I kind of wrote down. And, and, and you know, it ties into another one that I found a little bit later in the book that many riders ride a lot some of the time instead of riding a little all of the time. You know, so those two things, so for me, we kind of went hand in hand. And I just immediately introduced that to, you know, the lessons that I was teaching that, like, you know, as a trainer, it's it's really great to be able to find different ways to say something you've already been saying or, or, you know, just a different way to come out of, out of, out of problem. And so, you know, even if you are a professional writer, just, you know, picking up a book and finding a new exercise here or there, or a new way to talk about a problem is, has just been really, really awesome. So immediately I was able to, you know, read a chapter or read a bit here and then, and then go to, you know, in the evenings. So usually I was reading this book in the middle of the day. So I was able to, you know, go ride my horses in the the afternoon, come home, have lunch, read read some some of the book and then in the afternoon i teach lessons so in the afternoon go out and start to implement yeah. these things right away so no i, I love I'm, it it's really good yeah i thought that, that, that their explanation of half halts was yeah. the best i've I, ever I, I dwelled and dwelled on that one yeah actually <laughs> i laugh Lily, because literally that was my note <laughs> too really? you and i i think we're i i like the square serpentine that was one of mine and then half halts and i was actually going to just read it um it's half halts and transitions are the rider's primary tool to balance the horse they coordinate the front pulling engine and the hind pushing engine by connecting the two engines and when the half halts and transition transfer weight to the hind leg they collect the horse as you work on making your half halts effective remember to use your power lines then enable they enable the aids and they make soft effective aids so i felt the same way like i thought that that was I loved sort of the idea of the pulling engine and the pushing engine that sort of resonated with me. And I was like, Oh, that's such a good way to think of those two. And the half halt is balancing, but it's connecting those two engines, which I thought was cool. That was one of the things for me that was super effective. And, and yeah. And the, and the part about the horse, I, I don't know why I never thought about this way. You know, it's so annoying when a horse won't engage his hind end. Yeah. <laughs> It never occurred to me that he's not, a, as this book explains, a horse isn't really aware of his hind end because mm-hmm. he doesn't, you know, he just pulls himself. And it, 
I just never thought of it that way. I just thought they just didn't want to work real hard. It just, <laughs> it, it makes it me feel like being a kinder writer because now I understand that, you know, you need to wake up the hind end because he's just not, doesn't really know it's there. I mean, knows it's there, but, you know, it's just sort of a caboose. And no, not- yeah, I mean, again, yeah, a good discussion about like horses in nature and what is their nature and, you know, how are, and then how are we supposed to teach them and influence these things? You know, and it talked about horses of different types and, you know, there was a lot of, you know, and some that are, you know, bred with a little bit more natural inclination to use the hind end or, you know, their, their you know, the confirmation, the breeding, a little, there was a little discussion on that. And I thought that was really valuable. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it wasn't just like this, this point applies to all horses. It was a little bit like most horses are like this. Some of them are like that. And, you know, that I, because as a trainer and as a coach, you know, not not all things apply to every horse, right? Not all horses are are crooked to the right, for instance. So there's a little, you know, some good discussion about that, and you know, and about what you know, what like you said, is the nature of the horse, and and how do we um, explain to them? Because that's you know that's what we're trying to do with dressage is using our aids because we can't just you know talk to them and tell them. So we have to be like you said, kind about it, and you know, you, you know, we're using the exercises to explain to the horse and as a rider you're responsible for being clear and accurate with your aids right so and and again this another note i made is like a well-timed aid is one where the horse is physically able to respond and uh, you know this kind of falls into a lot of my lessons where like yes you can apply the right aid but you may not get the right reaction because you were either you know a little, most of the time a little too slow to to influence the horse or a little bit too fast right so Again, you know, I think this book really speaks to the problems of an adult amateur. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, yeah, I mean, well, and just in general, I think, like you were saying too, Phil, like, as a trainer, these are really good things. Like, for example, she talks about four primary power lines, which I thought was cool. She talks about the vertical power line, which is the line from your ear, shoulder, hip to your heel. The connecting power line, which is your elbow, your low back that connects the horse and the rider. The spiral power line that is, this is the the vertical line spiral to help the rider steer through a turn. And she talks about each of these. And then the visual power line that Lily, you've talked about, which is that the rider focuses on an object. And just even those four things, if you can do those four things, then you're in a pretty you're in pretty good shape uh you know if you can sort of connect all of those things they're very technical things and i think that they were really fantastic so lila just kind of as a final thought what was your sort of overall your your favorite takeaway from the book oh i i think you know the explanation of the horse's balance and and the explanation of half halts because i think half halts are just the basis of everything and for an amateur rider, and you know, you all are trainers, and it's so hard to teach feel, and a half halt is all feel, and to write it down on paper and read it, and they had so many exercises about how to develop, you know, better half halts and what to do if they don't go through, and blah, 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 and you know, that just was really, really helpful to me. You know, I, I have so much respect for you and Philip and, and Elaine and all the, all the people that try to teach dressage, because I don't know how you do it. It's just so <laughs> complicated. 
<laughs> and, it's, um, it's a lot of fun, actually. It's, but you know, it is nice, and and I have found, and that's one of the reasons I thought this this book idea, this book club idea, was cool because some some writers, everyone learns a little differently. Uh, and I I just happen, I don't have a lot of space in my apartment, so a lot of my horse books are in my tack room, and so my students can sort of check them out and bring them back because some writers learn beautifully from reading. Some just love reading. And then other writers, they learn from different forms. You know, so I I feel that, that the book club helps writers that want to read or basically just helps educate, in this case, a little bit about theory. And like, why do we say the things we say? Like, we say them because there is a basis for them. So, um, but I am so I, glad to enjoy the book. I was just going to jump in there, Reese. I think even if people, you know, aren't big readers or don't like to read, I'm, I'm thinking of some of the teenage writers and, and sure. like, you know, pick up a book like this and, and just read it slowly or, you know, come home sure. from a lesson and, and try and find a section that relates to what your coach was trying to tell you, because it's worth, you know, I think it's, you know, there's not wasted time when you're trying to learn about dressage. So if, Watching right. a video is good. You know, like do it. Yes. You know, and then say, oh, I don't, I don't learn well from that, but just do it anyways. I, I try. Yeah. Everything you can do because not every rider gets to ride five horses a day and, you know, gets that kind of experience. So if anything else just helps a, a connection or something to click for you, it's worth doing, you know, even if, yeah. you know, right at this moment, this doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't help. You know, keep keep going back to books and keep going to watching videos and, and doing everything you can to educate yourself. Yeah, I love it. Well, in our book club kind of helps motivate, huh, Lilla? <laughs> Just kind of like, let's Yeah, let's and, I, and it's such a great service what you and uh, you all are doing because I, I know that you're going to be very thoughtful and as podcast hosts and teachers and educators, uh, the books that you select are going to be really, really good ones. And I, I just can't wait to read the rest of them, the next one. Well, I love it. Well, so we I talked about it last week with Jacques Ballou, uh, who is also the author of 101 Dressage Exercises, which I've talked about on the show. I love that book. But she's come out with a new book, which is a little bit different than the first book that we chose. So this is 55 Corrective Exercises for Horses. So this is for our listeners that are also doing other disciplines. Um this book, I think everyone will really enjoy. Phil and I, it just came in the mail. I just picked it up uh, last night. And uh, I hope everyone really likes it. And I think it yeah, will I be I think we're going to try and do a little variety of things, not mm-hmm. just, you know, complete. Well, it won't be know, all theory books. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I hope everyone likes this book. So pick it up. We've got it on our website and we've got it on the Facebook page. And I hope everyone enjoys this book as well. But Lila, thanks so much much for coming on and being our first demo, our first person to talk about our book, When when Two Spines Align, Dressage Dynamics by Beth Baumert. And that was book club book number one. So thank you for coming on. You're very welcome. Hi, this is April, one of your Texas HRN auditors. If you love HRN as much as I do, you should become an auditor too. I love all the shows, Horses in the Morning, Dressage Radio Show, and many more. I love getting to know the crew and other auditors on the Facebook page and trying and reviewing all the new products. Most of all, I love that my contribution can continue to bring great information, laughs, and more horse-centric programming to others. So what are you waiting for? Go join. 
To become an HRN auditor and to join the party, please visit horseradionetwork.com and click on the auditor banner on the right side of the page. For as little as a dollar a month, you too can join the party. Well, Phil, I don't know how you're using those total saddle figures, but I tell you what, those interchangeable linings on the total saddle fit stretch tech is a lifesaver for me right now. It's absolutely. Well, actually, we were just thinking about uh, on Monday, we have to change. We're going to a show, so I'm going to switch oh, out yeah. our normal, you know, our neoprene stuff for the nice show leather. Yes. Stuff, you know, sure. just, sure. just say, I mean, it looks nicer. It's not not you know as warm but i mean that's nice because they sort of stay off to the side while we're training and then all of a sudden showtime you know it's coming out yeah the 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 really nice leather stuff is coming out we're you know you give it a clean and a little bit of a, a condition and they're ready to go for the show so our stuff never you know looks raggedy it, it's all you know if you give the outside a clean it's a brand new and then you just it's got that Velcro switch out, takes two seconds. It's amazing. So I'm really <laughs> loving that, you know, as we're preparing to go to another big horse show. It's, I love my yeah, I sh- my shoulder relief girths and, and the horses love them too. I, you know, this is a really great product. I agree. So as always, um, Justin at Total Saddle Fit's the way to go. And you can find out at totalsaddlefit.com. This week's dressage training tip is brought to you by Total Saddle Fit, home of the shoulder relief girth at totalsaddlefit.com. So, Phil, you've got a great Total Saddle Fit tip of the week. What you got for us? Well, we got another listener question. We want to, you know, we want to get to these and get the people yeah. uh, some answers to their problems as they're, you know, training over the summer here and riding every day. This one is about a 17-year-old uh, Hanoverian mare is sticky about moving freely forward, especially at the beginning of a ride. She often gives a tepid response to leg and seat aids and sort of dwaddles at the walk and trot. Hard to keep going at the canter. Sounds like a horse that's a little bit behind the leg aids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Her gates are lovely when she does move out. Lots of um, other, you know, checking tack, checking chiropractic. I think this rider has, you know, done everything she can. Uh, about the tack and the veterinary issues. Um, so uh, we're just sort of, uh, I think we're addressing a bit of a training issue. Yeah. Here it's a nice FEI horse. It sounds like a, a wonderful horse, but it can be a little sticky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, so any yeah. thoughts right away any about thoughts? this problem? Well, it's funny. I was just working with a, a team right before, you know, I came in and I've worked with this horse now a little bit so i know the horse and I know the rider and okay. the horse can also be a little bit sticky like that uh it's an older horse it's an event horse yeah so it's interesting i i did not come up with it with this analogy scott hassler did but i'm gonna use it which he used it with me once and i thought this is a great analogy so well, you gave him Scott's. credit so he can't yeah this is scott's right? <laughs> so but what he said was you know think about an ice ice in a hose in the winter and you have to break the ice to get the water to run freely through the hose and use that same thought with a horse's back. There's tension somewhere in the back and you have to figure out a way to sort of massage or break, loosen up. If you want to use that term, um, sort of the tension in their back. So the energy can run freely forward and, I, I was sitting there. I'm like, that is genius. 
I did not come <laughs> up with that. It's like, that is really smart. And it's true. And I think with older horses especially. Yeah, well, I don't um, think you want to get, get, you know, sometimes with a with a frozen line, you might get a, you know, a hammer or something. So, I, I, I yeah. We, we don't want to <laughs> so, do that with a horse. I live right? in Kentucky. I do not live in Canada. Yeah, you, we don't need you to use hammers. You are kind of just bending this hose. Yeah, we can just in, bend In Canada, sometimes gentle. we use a little stronger methods. But, yes, I don't uh, know I, about I get Canadian. the idea. I get the idea. We, we get, don't get my visual it. here. Yeah, exactly. Which is basically like, and I think that's what's going on with this horse. You know, I think she's got some tension in her back. And, and you know, she's a little bit on the older side at 17. And I am not judging because I'm feeling this as I get older. You know, I have to do more sort of yoga work and more stretching work to feel sort of ready to start the day. And I like to think with older horses and ones that don't want to move forward, they are communicating something to us. We may not like what they're communicating, but they are communicating something, which is, hey, I've got some tension in my back or I've got some tension somewhere. So, and this kind of goes back to the lesson I was teaching right before the show, you know, I like to do a lot of walk work with these horses. And and I think you have to kind of find the key that that helps your horse the most. Um, I'm not a big lunger on older horses, but sometimes I have a horse that gets tight in his back and he goes on the lunge line a a couple rounds sometimes if he's super tight. And that sort of, as soon as he blows his nose and goes through his back, then he can move freely forward. So that's one option. The option is also just a lot of walk work with a lot of suppling lines that can be serpentine loops, bending lines, where you sort of make the inside of the horse's neck shorter and the outside longer just as an exercise to sort of supple that horse laterally and also just some like yielding shoulder four turn on the forehands all of these exercises I think would help this horse kind of get the ice out of her hose if that makes sense to help yep. the energy run forward yep. so Phil what are you thinking I mean exactly the same way I've uh, dealt with a you know a couple of schoolmasters in my time and um, they just take longer I think what you know what the rider sometimes wants to do is just think oh my problem is forward i'm just going to make the horse go forward and then you kind of run into the problem because you're not addressing the suppleness issue i i kind of picture when i ride a horse like this is that pelvis is a little locked up you know yeah. that's that's I, I think in general that's my feeling of that kind of horse is that you know the front end works fine but the back end not really you know takes a little longer and so you know, I don't mind if a rider wants to jog the horse in hand a little bit before they get on. You know, yeah, sometimes it's absolutely. a little better than lunging. You know, you don't want to be creating sure. a circle. You know, just sort of like, are you awake? Are we, you know, are we ready to work? Yeah. And then get on. And for sure, a lot of walk. Yeah. Walk. Leg yield is probably my favorite to absolutely. fix this problem because it's not yeah. as hard as like there's less weight carrying in a leg yield than, than um, a traver or a shoulder in. So it's just sort of, um, you know, a little bit with all my horses, I sort of start them, you know, when I'm warming up and I start them as if they were a first level horse. And then I go, okay, I got that, you know, so leg yield or like, and then, okay, now you're a second level horse. I want to do a little shoulder in and then I want to do a little traver. And then now you're a third level horse. Maybe I'm going to introduce. So I just, you know, kind of going through the checklist of the training mm-hmm. levels uh, also, the you know the pyramid rhythm, suppleness, you know contact, strainness, yeah. But also, you know, kind of like I'm going to train through the level with this horse, because if leg yield doesn't work, guess what? The you know shoulder in's not going to work, traverse is not going to work, and if that yeah. stuff doesn't work, then half pass is not going to work. So yep. even though it's a schoolmaster, and you're like, well, this horse knows half pass, but I just sort of take them through that gently, you know, as a with a, a bit of a long neck, and you know, not 
you know, pulling on the bridle and asking for super collection because part of the problem is the, um, is the suppleness of the, of the pelvis and the spine and the shoulder, you know, all that. And, and another problem is like, you can't make them carry themselves too early or start right. to weight bear on because a FEI horse is trained to carry a lot of weight on the hind leg. But if it's not supple enough, then don't do that, right? Because you're going right. to come into problems, right? You're going to you're going to say, okay, you know, ten minutes later, I'm into my um, pre St. George work. Well, yeah, but have you checked that the second level work is is okay? It works, you know, without yes. creating that that super collection. Or so I want to get away from the idea of early in the ride going big stride, small stride. You know, big time weight bearing and and then big time making big strides that, you know, because it's, you know, the horse isn't really ready for that in its daily work. And that puts a lot of weight and, and strain on a, on an auto horse to be able to, you know, to go right to a super collection. And that's really hard work, but leg yield, that's, you know, that should be fairly easy. And if you leave a little bit of the balance on the forehand for, you know, five minutes, I think you can then, you know, pick them up a little bit better and then start asking for collection when when you feel that their body is ready and the energy is right and the and the forward flow is established hopefully that kind of makes sense you yeah know, no i think that's right you know I and think then some days like i don't get to the fei work because the yeah. horse just doesn't feel good enough. ready yeah it's ready. ready so great that's i mean that's a that's a day where you're focusing on the basics that's just as important as the rest of the stuff you know you can't build on your pyramid if the base isn't there yeah. daily yeah. not just daily daily you know yeah so that's why i try and fo- you know really and then you know ask myself is the horse ready for the next step yes or no you know like how good does it feel and if it doesn't feel good then don't go on yeah so and that's I think- sort of my idea my philosophy around these schoolmasters that yeah. you don't have to do lines of tempies every day you don't have to right. do twos and you know and pirouettes and you know, you'd like to but they're you have yeah, to it's ask actually better whether they don't. can yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, when I was in Ger- when I lived in Germany, now it's a long time ago, but, you know, that was one of the things Mr. Schumacher taught us every day was you've got to come out and grease the joints. And I thought... Yeah, that's a good way that, to put it, too. Yeah, Grease the joints. Yeah. You've got to spend 20 minutes. You know, I, there's no bigger pet peeve of mine than I see riders put their foot in the stirrups and they start trotting. I'm like, you have no idea what you're doing, you know, like... Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, but so just, just think about it a little work. bit. Yeah, spend the time to yeah. stretch a little bit. I know that yeah. lots of lots of riders um, will do stretch like stretch exercises. You know, uh, treat training a little bit with mm-hmm. with the horse yeah. before they even get on. Right, like right. you know, can they bend their neck around? You know, can they reach a, a carrot or a, I use sugar cubes at home? Uh, yeah. Sugar, you know, to the right mm-hmm. side, to the left side, to you know, between the front leg. Uh, there's all all sorts of things that you have to do to um prepare the horse to be ready to be you know ridden in exercise and you know i think yeah. older riders have a little bit better concept of this yeah. than, than yeah, but lots you of it. you know lots of teenagers you know get a nice schoolmaster which is great but they don't understand the idea of like a you know of a stiff feeling when they come out of you know when they come and out the, in the morning the and, yeah, and you know how to prepare uh themselves uh to stretch and you know do all these things so I hope that helps. I th- I think this is exactly what we're talking about with this horse. It's hard to tell sometimes, but uh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And but as always, we love emails and Facebook shoutouts and the, questions. We love the questions. I mean, if if there's a follow up to to any of our, 
you know, questions that we answer or if somebody has a little different take on it, you know, shoot us an email. We'd love to address it and, and talk about it. I think that'd be great. Absolutely. Well, just as a reminder for our book club next month, we have Jacques Ballou's 55 Corrective Exercises for Horses. Um, and you can find it on Amazon or um, we'll put it on our website as well. And we look forward to sharing that book with you. And th- this book's actually kind of along the same lines of what we were just talking about. Um, there's just like, yeah. how do you Yeah, how I was thinking of that injury? as we were talking about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some on the ground and riding exercises to to help with the horse. Yeah, preventing injury. So I love it. Well, as always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com. I think the best way to find me is on Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a good show. And don't forget to check out all the other shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Everybody, keep your heels down and your shoulders back, and we'll talk to you next week.